it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning. Welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You are listening to the Ryan Hickey Show. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, as we roll here for the next two hours, going until 11 a.m. Eastern. We appreciate you starting your week, getting up early, and getting your week started with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Happy Halloween, or I guess at this point, belated Happy Halloween. Hopefully yesterday, the costumes were great. There are more treats than tricks, and hopefully your day spent watching football like me, or out trick-or-treating was, was spent, and it was a, a good, fun all-around good Sunday. A lot of tricks happened in the NFL yesterday. A more spookiness, Halloween-related or not, happened in week number eight. We'll dissect that here in one second. But also, a ton of other news to get to. The Astros keep the World Series alive with their bats. We'll break that down. College football, we had a big weekend now in the Big Ten. So let's get this question. We'll get to it an hour from now. Is Ohio State, are they still the team to beat in the Big Ten, we'll break that down. College football playoff rankings come out tomorrow. The first official rankings that actually matter. We will now see who the committee views as legitimate, who the committee views as maybe frauds or not as impressed with so far. We will get um, their rankings tomorrow, but I'll kind of predict the rankings and tell you what the committee should be thinking when it comes to putting out their first batch rankings. A loaded show for you here coming off week eight in the NFL, so let's dive into it. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So we just made a corny joke about a lot of tricks being played in the NFL in week number eight yesterday, but it was a wild and wacky week number eight in the NFL because we saw a lot of, in my opinion, brutal losses. Inexcusable, unacceptable, brutal losses in the NFL. Colts losing to the Titans. Browns losing to the Steelers, Bengals losing to the Jets, Cardinals going back to Thursday night losing to the Packers, Buccaneers losing to the Saints, Chargers falling to the Patriots, and finally on Sunday night, the capper, Vikings losing to the Cowboys. For all different reasons, right, whether it's health of the other team, whether it's just you can't lose that sort of game, whether it's playoff implications, for all different reasons, those teams I just listed had brutal, inexcusable losses in week number eight. So which loss in your mind is the worst? Colts, Browns, Bengals, Cardinals, Buccaneers, Chargers, Vikings, all lose. Which loss out of those was the worst coming from week number eight? I'll give you my answer. For me, it's the Colts. The Colts losing to the Titans. When we saw a ton of different brutal losses in different ways for teams around the NFL, and that was the worst loss of week eight, and here's why. With a rough start, right? Colts getting off to an 0-3 start, losing to the Titans earlier in the year, and then going 1-4. This was their real last shot. I know it's week eight, we're only halfway through, but this was their real last shot to get back into the AFC South race. So when you look at some of these brutal losses by the Bengals and the Chargers and the Buccaneers, that won't really impact too much 
whether they'll make the playoffs or not, they will. It will, I think, will more impact seeding. But for the Colts, this loss is catastrophic already just in through week eight because really it served as a death knell in terms of their hopes for a division crown. This was not only going into this weekend a must-win game for the Colts to keep their division hopes alive and really kind of get back on track here. This is also, though, a game where they had the advantage going into this matchup. Things were favoring them. So even though the Titans came in at 5-2 and two and playing really well, this was a matchup that the Colts should have won and didn't. You had a banged-up Tennessee Titans team coming into this game. You did not have Julio Jones if you're a Titans fan. The secondary for Tennessee decimated by injuries the last few weeks. So you had health-wise, the Colts being the healthiest they've been all season. Injury-wise for the Titans coming in banged up. Different players uh, in and out of the lineup. And you had, even throughout the game, so many different breaks going the Colts' way. They got off to the best start imaginable. 14-play drive to start the game, you go up 7-0. Ryan Tannehill's first pass step, interception. Next play, touchdown. You Before you even blink, it's 14-0. Colts are off to the best start you could have asked for. Throughout the game, they bottled up Derrick Henry. He had just 68 yards rushing. That is the best job you're ever going to do on Derrick Henry in terms of giving yourself a shot to slow him down, and they did it. So with that said, you're out 14-0, or you're up 14-0. You have the injuries kind of going your way where you have a banged-up Tennessee Titans team coming in, and you are the healthiest you've been all season. You basically shut down, make Derrick Henry irrelevant. And we know how hard that is to do. With that said, you have to win that game. There is no excuse for losing it, and the Colts lost it. They didn't have an answer for Ryan Tannehill. Even though the Titans were one-dimensional, they still could not stop Ryan Tannehill. Carson Wentz, unfortunately, with just two ill-advised passes at the worst time, and to that point, played pretty well. A little inaccurate, missed a few receivers, but had three touchdowns. Then he throws the pick six deep in his own end, makes up for it by driving down the field late to tie the game with a touchdown. And in overtime, I thought it was a, a worse pick than the first one he threw, lefty out of the end zone. But he throws a pick into what felt like triple coverage in overtime, picked off deep in the Colts' end, leads them to a field goal game over at Tennessee wins. Just a absolutely devastating 34-31 loss, uh, loss for the Colts. We're even at 3-5. and five, I wouldn't say their playoff hopes are dashed. Kind of the bottom of the AFC, kind of fighting for that 6-7 seed, still wide open. But there goes any hopes of the division. And I thought coming into the year, this was a division they should have won. That, to me, is why this loss is the most brutal loss out of any team in Week 8. We'll get to the rest in a second here. But it is now a very, very steep uphill climb for the Colts to make the playoffs go on the rest of the way. And you can kiss the division goodbye. But some other brutal losses, right? We'll get to here in a second. But the Colts, I thought, was the worst, but there was some doozies there as well. How about the Bengals losing to the Jets? For a young team, which the Bengals are, coming off a 41-17 drubbing of the Ravens, they got their praise, they got their bouquets thrown their way all this week. The Bengals, I mean, hell, they had the number one seed in the AFC coming into this week. I get it. It's just, you know, seven games in the season. It means nothing. It's still 10 games to go. But your Cincinnati Bengals. We're number one in the AFC coming to this game. This should have been a walkover game against the Jets, especially with no Zach Wilson. You have Mike White making his first career start. And now losing this game, all the momentum, I think, from last week is now gone. And again, I don't think this will be the reason why they missed the playoffs. I still think the Bengals are a good team. 
But in a wide open AFC, where yes, again, I will, I'm not predicting the Bengals to finish uh, number one in the AFC. But this should have been a freebie game in a very competitive AFC North where now you find yourself kind of surprisingly right in the middle of. This should have been a freebie game to add and kind of just buy you some time going to later in the season. They should have been 6-2. and two. Get yourself that much closer. Give yourself a little bit more cushion and room for error when it comes to making the playoffs by basically getting a, you know, go pass, go collect $200 if you were playing Monopoly sort of game here against the Jets against Mike White. Didn't happen. Coming off a game, too, where they really shut down Lamar Jackson. They limited him passing-wise, running-wise. They did a great job on Lamar. And you cannot, I'm sorry, just get burned by Mike White then a week later. He threw 405 yards, three touchdowns. And even though he did throw two picks, Bengals could not do enough to convert to get the win. They lose 34-3 run. A brutal loss for Cincinnati. Inexcusable loss. Speaking of inexcusable, I thought that's what happened here with the Browns losing to the Steelers. At home inexcusable. I know they're banged up. I know the Browns have been scuffing a little bit, but this was a great chance, a great opportunity to get back on track with a big divisional win. They were getting healthier. No, Baker Mayfield still banged up with his left shoulder and he was clear to play and did play, but you're getting Nick Chubb back into the lineup. You're getting your offensive line a little bit healthier. So even though you don't have a quarterback who's hundred percent, this should have been a game. Absolutely. The Browns take care of business with. Even with how good the Steelers' defense is, and that's the best part of their team, that's the strength of their team for sure, you cannot lose at home to a Steelers offense that scores 15 points. 15 points! For a team with coming in here that had, I think, Super Bowl aspirations, Super Bowl expectations, to get, you know, to have a chance to get kind of back on track after getting the season, you know, we got off sideways. Right? They're four and three. Injuries have kind of hurt them. They had a few games that they lost that were surprising. Blowing the big lead early on in Kansas City, week number one. I still chose to take more positives and negatives from that. But they've had some bad games. They've gotten off to a very slow start. This is a chance to kind of get back on track here. Was it going to be a statement win? No. But it would have served as a reminder that, oh yeah, the Browns are still really damn good. And now you lose, and now you're in, again, it's still early, but you're in last place in the AFC North. Great chance to kind of get the train back on the tracks here. Browns failed to do that. In the Buccaneers-Saints game, again, the, Saint, uh, the Buccaneers are still going to make the playoffs. They're still going to win the, AF, uh, the NFC South. They're still going to be one of the best teams in the NFL come playoff time. But you just can't lose, I'm sorry, to a Trevor Simeon-led Saints team. Because basically when Jameis Winston got hurt early on the second quarter, you had Trevor Simeon coming in for basically three quarters of the game. And when he came in, the game was tied 7-7, right? It wasn't like they, the Saints had this huge lead and, and just asked Trevor Simeon to not lose the game for them. This was a ball game at 7-7 when Jameis Winston unfortunately got hurt. And we'll get to that in a little bit. That's a game the Buccaneers need to win. There's just no excuse for losing to Trevor Simeon. I'm sorry. I get Tom Brady had three turnovers. I get the Saints defense now has made him look human. Right, three turnovers, two picks, one fumble. Now has eight total turnovers in the three regular season games he's played against New Orleans. They have figured out kind of how to limit Tom Brady, how to confuse Tom Brady more than really any other defense. And so those three turnovers helped get you know Bucking, the Buccaneers into a twenty-three-seven hole. I get it; you have to dig out of it, but that's a game you just cannot lose. 
They came back. They took the lead. That's a game you got to close out and win. You cannot allow Trevor Simeon to drive down the field to kick the eventual game-winning field goal. Can't do it. So again, this is a loss that won't really impact, I don't think, their division hopes. I think the, the Buccaneers still by far and away the favorites to win the NFC South. They'll be one of the top two, three teams in the NFC. This loss, though, will hurt them. We'll come back to bite them, I think, when it comes to seeding time. When you are fighting in a loaded NFC conference, when you're fighting for that number one seed and the only team to get a bye, or even trying to get an extra home game out of the playoffs, this is a loss that will come back to bite you. This is a loss when you're sitting there in December saying, man, we really could have used that one. That loss of Trevor Simeon's really coming back to bite us if you're a Bucs fan. Similarly, just no excuse. I thought the Chargers. Chargers losing to the Patriots to me had no excuse. Impressive win for New England. But with that said, you had Los Angeles coming off a 34-6 beatdown to the Ravens last time on the field, coming off a bye week at home, going against a New England secondary that's been getting torched for most of the year. That's a game the Chargers should have won. That's a game with how good Justin Herbert's been for most of the year, how explosive and dynamic this Chargers offense has been all year. That's a, that's a game where you got to get back on track and just win. And win. So instead of coming off the bye, instead of being motivated after getting blown out the last time you're on the field, the offense looked pedestrian. Justin Herbert didn't really look that good. Barely completed 50% of his passes, threw two interceptions. The pick six really ended up kind of being the, uh, the difference in the game here. And you had a Chargers offense that a few weeks ago had an instant classic against the Browns where they put up 49 points. They were stuck in neutral for most of the game. This Patriots team hasn't really been great all year. They've played tough. They lost a few close games. I still don't really know if they're a good team or a bad team. They're kind of stuck in the middle. But coming off the bye, this was a game the Chargers had to have. Take care of business, and it said they could not do so. I think the runner-up here in terms of most brutal loss coming out of Week 8, the Vikings losing to the Cowboys. You just cannot lose at home in primetime to a Cooper Rush-led Cowboys team. There's a few weeks ago on the show, we praised Kirk Cousins for how clutch he has been. He has played his best in some of the biggest moments of the season this year, which as we know, throughout his entire career, hasn't really been the case for Kirk Cousins. He has turned it around though this year and credit to him, but last night was not one of those nights. Last night was the Kirk Cousins of old, where he played down to his competition. He was just an average quarterback. He didn't take control of the game when the team needed him to do so the most. I mean, he just had 184 passing yards. That's unacceptable. Kirk Cousins, at home, was outplayed by a guy in Cooper Rush making his first career start. And oh yeah, by the way, I know their Cowboys were getting ready and there was kind of questions all week whether Dak would play or not. There wasn't a real definitive decision whether Dak was going to play until an hour and a half before kickoff. Where Dak went through pregame warm-ups and the Cowboys said, yeah, you probably you can't do it, we're going to wait another week. So it wasn't even like he had a week or two to prepare for this game and have plays that Cooper Rush likes. He stepped in, almost cold, and delivered a massive 20-16 victory over a Vikings team that desperately, desperately needed this game for playoff seeding. The bottom of the NFC, similar to the bottom of the AFC when it comes to the playoff picture, is wide open. The Vikings at 3-3 three three had a rough start to the season. They have rebounded nicely. This was, again, similar to... 
we were talking about with a freebie game for the Bengals. This was a freebie game for Minnesota. The Cowboys are punting this game. And instead they walk out of there with a shocker. That's an excruciatingly bad loss for Minnesota. Again, the runner-up, I think, to the Colts. Colts are the most brutal loss of week number eight. Minnesota right there at number two. And finally, I thought another team here, as we continue on, who had a, just an awful, awful week number eight loss was the Cardinals. I get they came in 7-0, and I get they were playing a Packers team that had just one loss, and at, to that point, before the game, had won six games in a row. But being at home on a short week, playing a Packers team that, had, that was without their top three wide receivers. No Devontae Adams. No Alan Lazard. No Marquez Valdez-Scantling. That's a game you can't lose if you're Arizona. And it's not like Aaron Rodgers just went off and Aaron Jones was unstoppable and Robert Tanyan was unguardable and Randall Cobb was a man possessed. The Packers played an average game at best offensively. I mean, it's not surprising. It's not, it's not like I'm, I'm using that as a dig at Aaron Rodgers. But he did just 100, excuse me, 84 yards passing. That was a game offensively where, again, the, the Packers were playing like they were down their three best wide receivers. That's a game where the Cardinals have to convert. That's a bad loss for them. I know they're 7-1. Wasn't predicting them to go undefeated. But it's a bad loss in the sense of you're playing a depleted team at home on a short week. And when you look at the top of the NFC, we have the Cardinals, the Packers, the Buccaneers, the Rams, and the Cowboys all within one loss of each other, all right there. Every game matters. This is a potential huge game now looking forward. When you look at tiebreakers, when you look at who gets the number one seed, who's going to get two or three, this is a massive tiebreaker gained by the Packers over the Cardinals. That, again, could be the difference of Arizona getting a bye or not in week number one, or playing the divisional round at home or on the road in week number two. This was a or playoff week number two. This was a huge, huge opportunity for the Cardinals here to really get a massive game when it comes to the playoff seeding down the road, and they blew it. So a ton of, I thought, brutal losses by many good teams here in week number eight. I thought the loss by the Colts took the cake. I thought that was by far the worst loss by any team in week number eight. Do you agree or disagree? Love to hear your thoughts. Plenty of ways to contribute to the show, whether it's Facebook, Worldwide Sports, or Amherst. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well as you can tweet me there. Who had the most brutal loss in week number eight of the NFL? We get your thoughts when we do return here. Unfortunately, some brutal news for the Saints. They lost their quarterback, Jameis Winston, reportedly, it seems, for the year with an ACL injury. Where should they turn to a quarterback? Who should they bring in? I have my answer. I'll tell you who that should be when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Reddit. We'll get to the Saints uh, QB quandary quarterback injury concern here in a second, but some breaking news that it's even a bigger injury concern than the Saints when they suffered a loss of Jameis Winston. That's unfortunately looks like now for the Titans, 
Their running back, Derrick Henry, according to Adam Schefter, potentially suffered a season-ending foot injury during yesterday's win over the Colts. He's going uh, undergoing an MRI today to fully kind of get the extent of the damage, truly get an answer one way or another. But it looks like maybe the Titans now will be without their beast of a running back, one of the greatest players in the NFL for the rest of the season. Now, I will say, watching that game yesterday, you saw early on, I believe it was a second or third drive uh, from Tennessee, Derrick Henry on the sideline had his shoe off. He was walking around, looked like they tipped up an ankle. There wasn't really too much of an injury report. Like, the, the, the camera showed it. They showed Henry walking around. He came back on the next drive for the Tennessee offense. There's no real injury report that came out of Tennessee that he was questionable, that he was you know, even dealing with anything. So it seemed like maybe just a, a small, slight you know, ankle injury for Derrick Henry. Again, he was only held to 60 yards. Colts did a good job, but now we know it's probably more of the injury that led to his ineffectiveness than anything else. Um, and now, unfortunately, according to Adam Schefter, it looks like the Titans could have potentially suffered a huge, huge blow. With their offense, their number one guy they rely on, Derek Henry, possibly being out for the year. Now, look, we just talked about the Colts suffering a brutal loss. I thought it was the most brutal loss of Week 8, um, having an, a huge opportunity at home to take down the Titans, get back in the AFC South race, and, and really kind of make up for which was, was a brutal start to the season. They had a lot of things going their way. The Colts did, and they end up blowing the game. Now that loss becomes even worse, even more excruciating, even more brutal because you beat the Titans and now they have to go the next nine games plus without Derrick Henry. It's your division to lose. Even though they'll still be in second place, that's still the Colts' division to lose. And now the, the hole might be too much to make up for. But now when you look at Tennessee, do they have a chance here? Can they truly be contenders because in in a wide open AFC which it has been this year Tennessee honestly is looking like one of the most dominant consistent teams in the conference right, you when you look around coming into this year obviously the Chiefs were a team that you looked at a lot of people looked at including myself that were going to be the team to beat in the AFC I didn't think a team was going to beat them I thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl for the third straight year as you know not off to the best of starts three and four to start the year they played tonight against the Giants look to get back to 500 so the Chiefs have really gotten out of the gates as slow as possible. You've had really every other team, though, play up and down. The, tight, uh, the, the Bills, excuse me, talent-wise, maybe right there behind the Chiefs in terms of the most talented team in the AFC. They lose early on to the Titans a few weeks ago. That Tennessee had the uh, upper hand on them. They had the tiebreaker in that wild Monday night game where Josh Allen was stuffed on a QB sneak. But we saw, what, Derrick Henry run wild. Three touchdowns. Buffalo could not tackle him. That was an offense, again, led by Derrick Henry. And basically, the Bills got Henryed. Seen it so many times as a Colts fan. We see it so many times as an NFL fan where Derrick Henry just takes over the game. He's untackleable. Untackleable. I don't even think that's a word. No one could tackle him. We'll just keep it simple. I don't even know why I try sometimes. But we'll keep it simple. The, the Bills could not tackle. We've seen it time and time and time again. So the Bills were a team, okay. You know, maybe that they were ready to kind of take the torch from the, from the Chiefs, as we know they made it to the AFC title game last year. The Bills were the second-best team behind Kansas City. But you had Tennessee at home get a huge, massive win over the Bills, followed up with a dominant win over the Chiefs. The Titans were looking like, even though the Bengals had the number one seed technically at 5-2, and two, the Titans were looking like the most dangerous, the most likely, 
early on to come out of the AFC because they had a style that was working. Even though their defense is not very good at getting after the passer, even though their secondary is banged up, even though Ryan Tannehill, I'm still suspect on him in terms of being a, a really good quarterback that can lead the team to victory without Derrick Henry. This was a team that consistently, consistency-wise, outside of just, just brutal, brutal Jets loss earlier on in the year, this was looking like one of the most consistent and best teams in the NFL. And now, fortunately, again, according to Adam Schefter, in case you're just tuning in, it appears, and the fear is, we'll say, the Tennessee Titans running back Derrick Henry suffered a potential season-ending foot injury in yesterday's game against Colts. MRI today to kind of get the full extent of the damage. But I'll say this. No Derrick Henry for Tennessee, no shot. I will say this, though, to give Ryan Tannehill quit, uh, credit here. He played well yesterday. Derrick Henry was a non-factor. Again, it seems that he hurt that foot very early on in, this, uh, in the game against the Colts. It was limited to just 68 yards. This was a Ryan Tannehill game. He played really well. He had two picks, one of which really we won't even call because the Colts um, fumbled the pick on the ensuing return. Titans recovered it. Next play, that was that 57-yard touchdown pass to A.J. Brown. It kind of changed the entire game around. But Ryan Tannehill, without really any threat of a run game, played pretty well. Three, you know, two interceptions again, but helped to lead Tennessee to a big victory over the Colts, in which, again, they're coming and banged up. No Julio Jones. Um, Derrick Henry got hurt. And that's still a game, which I can't believe Tennessee won't give him a lot of credit for. But now if you're without Derrick Henry the rest of the season, if this has to now be the norm for Tennessee, not the exception, I'm sorry, they don't stand a chance. This team is built on one man and one man alone. And that's why I kept on, you know, I don't say predicting against, but that's why I kept on doubting the Titans. In 2021, I'm sorry, you just cannot, I don't think, have a lot of success when your team is built around one player, and that's a running back. The game is too physical. I understand Derrick Henry is a specimen that's unlike anything else maybe we've ever seen before in terms of his speed, in terms of his build, in terms of his power, his size. He is it all. But as we know, when you run the ball as much as the Titans do, when you have so much of a workload on Derrick Henry's shoulders with how physical the sport is, running backs like this are susceptible to injury more than any other position. And now, when the worst-case scenario does happen, or Derrick Henry, it looks to be out for the year, I don't trust Ryan Tannehill. I don't think he's that good, in, uh, uh, good enough of a quarterback to lead now Tennessee to victory. I don't. When it's going to be the, the Ryan Tannehill show, when he's going to have to ask to throw the ball 30, 35, 40, maybe 45 times per game without really the threat of play action that makes him so elusive, that's so spectacular, I don't think he's, that very, he's, he's very good. He's not going to be able to get the job done. Because that's, that's the reason, and, and that's the key for Derrick Henry being so unstoppable. It's not just him running through defenses, getting 8, 10, 12, you know, sometimes 75-yard chunks at a time. It's also how he sets up the passing game. Because that play action now, teams have to sell to stop the run. That opens up throw lanes for A.J. Brown. When he's on the field, it opens up throwing lanes for Julio Jones. And Ryan Tannehill with his likes has run for plenty of first downs, plenty of touchdowns, because on those zone reads, everyone flows at Derrick Henry and it leaves the back end open for Ryan Tannehill to pick up huge chunks on the ground. Now without that threat, now when defenses are game-playing to stop Ryan Tannehill, I don't think he's a good enough quarterback to overcome that and get the job done on a weekly basis. Now, Tennessee will probably still win the division. 
because they have built up a big built up a big enough lead, and they still have gotten out you know out ahead of a lot of the toughest games they'll play. But this is in terms of being a playoff contender, being maybe a challenger to the Bills, challenger to the Bengals and the Ravens, and I do think the Chiefs will rebound when the Chiefs do get better. Chiefs come playoff time, no shot, no shot. Tennessee season's done. Tennessee's season is absolutely done. And it's just very sad, but this is the reality of the NFL. And this is the danger of building your team around a running back. Most vulnerable position, most injury-prone position in the NFL. I know Derrick Henry's been just a beast unlike anything else we've ever seen. But now you do see the downside. And you do see why really no teams build in 2021 around their running back. Because it's so volatile. It's so dangerous, and now the Titans are going to be paying for it. When you look around Tennessee, too, defense is not very good. Again, they struggle to get after the passer. Their, see, their, their secondary is already banged up. Their offensive line is not bad. But even with the receivers, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are a great one-two tandem. The issue is health. A.J. Brown has missed games. Julio Jones out again yesterday, did not play uh, against the Colts. He's missed some valuable time. Even when he's played in games, he's missed valuable drives on the sideline because of injury. So it's not even just Ryan Tannehill that I don't trust. It's also the fact that the receiving core, outside of just Derrick Henry, has been good but unreliable in terms of health. So Tennessee is going to have a very uphill climb here. It's going to be a brutal, brutal rest of the nine games for Tennessee. Off. We'll, we'll circle back to that news a little bit later on in the show here. We'll take a quick break. When we do return here, the Titans now suffered a, a devastating injury news today to their running back, Derrick Henry. The Saints yesterday suffered just some brutal injury news when it came to their quarterback in Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston reportedly looks to be out for the rest of the, rest of the season with an ACL injury. Where should the Saints turn to? Who should be the quarterback for the Saints? I'll tell you that when the Ryan Show returns right here. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan to Hickey, Hickey Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports. We're running there in case you're just tuning in. According to Adam Schefter, the Titans are fearing that Derrick Henry suffered a potentially season-ending foot injury yesterday. We'll get more details later on. An MRI will be undergone by Henry later on today to get the full extent of the damage here. Look, no Henry, no chance. That, that's just very simple, very... You know, very matter-of-fact here when it comes to the Titans. They built their team around one player in Derrick Henry. Without that player there, I don't think they have a shot when it comes to playoff time to win a Super Bowl, really be even any sort of threat. I'm going to circle back, back to that discussion here in a little bit because uh, now it opens up the question, can the Colts, even though they lost the tiebreaker, even though they're still in a big hole division, can they climb out of that and still win the division? Is the AFC South back up for grabs? We'll circle back to that conversation in a little bit. But... The Saints were, or the, the Titans were the only team to potentially suffer a brutal injury to their most important player. Yesterday, reported it looks like Jameis Winston 
unfortunately suffered a torn ACL against the Buccaneers. His knee got twisted up, went down very awkwardly, was unable to really kind of put any sort of pressure on his leg, was carted off. Uh, you had Sean Payton after the game say this is, they were fearing a very serious injury. So now you have a void at quarterback for the rest of the game, for, or for the rest of the season, excuse me, for a 5-2 and two Saints team. So what should they do, right? The season's not over. They're not just ready to pack it up and kind of look towards the draft. This is still a team with playoff aspirations, with a playoff caliber roster. What should they do at quarterback? I have two calls the Saints absolutely need to make. First call should be to Drew Brees. If he says no, the next call should be Phillip Rivers. Those are the first two calls I'm making, Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers. Because I'll tell you this. For me, the answer quarterback for the rest of the season for the Saints is not on the roster. Trevor Simi to me is a guy, I mean, look, he came in and played well. Right Yesterday, played for basically three quarters, cold off the bench, threw for 159 yards, threw for a touchdown. The Saints did end up being the Buccaneers. Big win for them. I don't think Trevor Simi is the answer long term. I don't think this is a guy that you can rely on for the rest of the season to get you into the playoffs and have them have the Saints be a legitimate threat once they get to the playoffs. So in terms of quarterbacks on the roster, I don't think Trevor Simeon is the guy you can rely on or the guy you should try to rely on for the rest of the season. Taysom Hill, the man that Sean Payton is desperate to make a franchise quarterback, the man that everyone, for whatever reason, within the Saints organization is extremely high on and thinks that they, you know, he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL have given a shot. Well, as you remember, he lost out in the quarterback competition to Jameis Winston earlier on in the season. And I'll just tell you this. I don't think he's a very good quarterback. Frankly, I don't think he is the guy. Uh, if you want to you know, make the playoffs and be a threat, I don't think Taysom Mills is the guy to be a quarterback. Because, look, he did okay when he got his really only true audition at quarterback last year when he filled in for Drew Brees for those four games and Drew was out with an injury. It was all right. It was a little bit better than maybe I expected. And as you consider, it came midway through the year where, where Taysom Hill, I know he plays quarterback for a little bit, but the Saints had to change their entire offense to base it around Taysom Hill, and they went 3-1 and one in those games. Okay. He had, you know, he had a ton of wins. Two came against the Falcons, so what are you going to do? But Taysom Hill, I just don't think he's a very good quarterback. I don't trust him to be a guy that can lead you to the playoffs the rest of the way because, again, there's still nine games to go. This is still a very long season. So even though you're 5-2, and two, even though the teams you're competing against for that 6th or 7th seed, like the Vikings, like the Bears, like the Panthers, um, maybe even the 49ers, right? they're not very good teams. And you should, especially with your 5-2 and two record, have the advantage over them still. You should be a playoff team. I don't think Taysom Hill is the answer to getting you there. I don't think he's the answer in terms of once you're in the playoffs, in terms of winning a game and getting the most out of this roster to try to win a Super Bowl. It's going to be a tough uphill climb, even if Jameis Winston was healthy. But you want to capitalize as much as you can on a 5-2 and two start. I don't think either Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon are the guys you can rely on for the rest of the season to be your quarterback to lead you to the promised land. That's why my first two calls, I'm Sean Payton, if I'm Mickey Loomis, from anyone within that Saints organization, the first two guys I'm calling are Drew Brees and Philip Rivers. In an ideal world, Drew Brees is coming back because he is their best option for this team the rest of the year. I'll tell you this. I personally don't, I, I'm not sold at least that Drew Brees made the retirement decision on his own. Now, there was those videos of him working out and he was talking about how he's, you know, he feels like he's in the best shape ever and he feels really good. I just kind of assumed 
Drew Brees after last year was going to retire. This was it. But as we know, whether it was just truly Drew Brees thinking about it, whether he just wanted to drag it on because he didn't feel right about announcing it, there was it took a lot longer for Drew Brees to announce his retirement than personally I expected. I thought it was going to be a quick decision. It's really not a choice by him or the Saints. It's just it's time. It took a while, and again, we do know eventually that Drew Brees did end up retiring. I'm not fully sold that he exactly was the one to make the full decision. I think part of it had to do with the Saints were like, we're, I'm sorry, Drew, we just can't bring you back. We're not going to do it. We want to go in a different direction. We want to give you the Jameis or Taysom a shot here. Maybe Drew Brees didn't want to play for another team, and he said, fine, I guess if, I'm, if you're not going to bring me back, I'm not going to play, and I'll, and I'll end up retiring. I'm not exactly sold that he was all in on retirement and truly wanted to hang it up. I still think there's some fire within him to play football and get back on the field. Kind of not go out the way he did where an injury riddled second half of the season kind of, you know, limited his capabilities, limited the way he was able to finish the season. And as we know, they did get eliminated by the Buccaneers, a team they blew out twice in the regular season and lost at home in the playoffs. So I think for Drew Brees, this is a chance that he would be into kind of getting a redemption story and kind of rewriting and maybe getting one more Super Bowl back in New Orleans. Let's also say this too. I'm not a big Drew Brees believer when it comes to them winning a Super Bowl, but in the season already halfway through, the big concern and the big worry the last few years of Drew Brees is that he has run out of gas, right? 2018, 2019, 2020, he has really kind of hit a brick wall later on in the year, and come playoff time, he's a shell of himself. The passes aren't going very far beyond the line of scrimmage. The offense really isn't humming, and it's not an explosive, deadly offense that we were seeing maybe in the first half of the season. But now with the year halfway through, and maybe by the time Drew Brees, if he does want to return, you know, it takes two, three weeks for him to kind of get back into football shape, get back into the building and play. You're looking at him playing maybe seven, eight games, right, down the stretch the rest of the season. So he still should be fresh with a midseason return for the Saints come playoff time to where he could be the best version of himself in the playoffs than we've seen the past few years. He's been run down, he's been injured, and he's just been flat-out tired, I think. The last few years come playoff time, the Saints have really not been good, and you've seen that in their early postseason exits each week. So now, you can have a refreshed, recharged, hopefully healthy Drew Brees to quarterback your playoff run. Is he going to you know, be the difference in terms of beating the Buccaneers again or beating the Cardinals or the Rams? I don't think so. Or the Packers. I don't. But I think he gives you the best shot of any quarterback out there. I think he definitely gives you the best shot. And not to mention, he knows the offense. You can come in really seamlessly and get on the field pretty quickly. He has already rapport with Alvin Kamari. He has a <coughs> great relationship with excuse me, Michael Thomas. Like, this is you know, a guy who's just barely moved from the organization. So it won't take long for Drew Brees to really pick up the offense and step in seamlessly at all. So if I'm Sean Payton, the guy I am calling here is Drew Brees. That's who I want to run my offense. That's who I want to be my quarterback the rest of the year with Jameis Winston reportedly being out for the rest of the season. If Drew Brees says no, if he likes the NBC gig, if he likes calling Notre Dame games on Saturdays and being an analyst on Sundays and kind of being an armchair quarterback and kind of liking being on the other side of the field, I think the next call should be to Phil Rivers. Give him a call because similar to Drew Brees, I don't think he was a guy that was fully bought in on retiring. His, I will be honest, his retirement was a little bit of a surprise to me. Bigger surprise than Drew Brees. With how surprisingly well he played 
for the Colts last year, even in the playoff game against Buffalo, he didn't, you know, he didn't pull a head. The Colts had a shot there at the end to beat the Bills. With how he played where he wasn't a total shell of himself, he wasn't just out there really dragging down the team, Colts went 11-5, and he had kind of a renaissance under Frank Reich. I really thought he was going to be back, but we did get the news that he's going to retire. He's going to coach high school football. He did, though, talk to Sam Farmer of the LA Times back in August and basically said, I'm not ruling out a midseason return this year. He wanted to coach his sons in high school football. If the season ended and someone gave him a call, he would strongly consider returning. Well, guess what? Call it fate. Call it perfect timing. Phillip Rivers' high school uh, football season, according to Will Brinton, who well connected with North Carolina ties, just ended this past weekend. Team missed the playoffs. So now Phillip Rivers' high school football season is done. His coaching season is done. And coincidentally or not, Jameis Winston unfortunately gets hurt. And now the Saints have a quarterback opening. That's a guy I definitely would call definitely bring in here to run the offense. Because look, again, he had a bounce back year in Indy in 2020. Frank Wright got the most out of him. So even though he has no mobility left, even though his arm, again, is still weaker and it's still not the strongest, he was able to throw balls in windows. He was able to find open receivers. And he was able, thanks to the scheming of Frank Reich, to find open guys and make kind of the passing game still deadly, despite, again, his lack of mobility and lack of arm strength. The Colts were able to make it work. And I view Frank Reich basically in a similar vein to Sean Payton. Offensive geniuses that put their quarterbacks in positions to succeed. And for Sean Payton, he's used to kind of working with a quarterback with limited mobility and limited arm strength with Drew Brees the last few years. So obviously there'd be, you know, some kinks to work out when it comes to knowing the offense, knowing, you know, learning the playbook, knowing the terminology, getting, you know, as quick as you can, some continuity with the receiving core. But if Drew Brees says no, I absolutely would give Philip Rivers a call. That's a guy I'd love to bring in here. Similar skill set, similar kind of dynamic and play style to Drew Brees. So I think he would give you the second best shot of capitalizing as much as you possibly can on this season. Drew Brees should be the number one call. Phil Rivers should be the number two call. Because both of those quarterbacks, I still think in 2021, despite their age, still to me, I think they are the two best options for the Saints when it comes to trying to get the most out of the season. Because even though there are plenty of other quarterbacks in the NFL, I just don't think they're good enough to win you games, get you where you need to be. So I would not go after Cam Newton. And according to Mike Flory, who tweeted out this morning, he does not, according to his sources, are he's not hearing that the Saints will pursue Cam Newton. So you can cross that name off. I don't think they should pursue him anyway. Frankly, I just don't think Cam Newton's a very good quarterback anymore. He's beaten down physically. His arm strength and his accuracy really scare me. His mobility is limited. Now, concerning the injuries, and it's not what it used to be, I would say no to Cam Newton. It appears like the Saints are saying no as well. I know Joe Flacco was just traded to the Jets this week. I would not call Joe Flacco at all. That's not a guy I would really want on my wish list if I'm Sean Payton. Terod Taylor is a guy who's trying to work back from injury. The trade deadline is Tuesday, so there's still a shot if you want to make a trade for Terod Taylor. Houston and David Culley keeps telling you he's their quarterback when healthy, whenever he does return from the hamstring injury. That's a guy that, again, I think Houston would definitely consider trading and just ride it out with Davis Mills this season. That's not a guy I would call. I don't think he gives you that much more of an upside than, let's say, Phil Rivers or Drew Brees. No Mitch Trubisky, another mobile quarterback backing up Josh Allen. I'm not sure if the Bills would even consider trading Mitch Trubisky, but if I'm the Saints, that's not a guy I'm calling. 
For me, I would definitely give a call to the two old men, if you will. Drew Brees is 42, and 39-year-old Philip Rivers, soon to be 40-year-old Philip Rivers. Those, to me, are the two guys absolutely the Saints, uh, the Saints should give a call to. They give you the best shot here of making the playoffs and maybe winning a game or two. They are both quarterbacks, and Drew Brees and Philip Rivers you can win with. Saints have enough on offense right now with the pieces around them and they're getting healthier to still win and make the playoffs. Like Alvin Kamara is the perfect security blanket running back for whatever quarterback is going to be on the center. Catches the ball out of backfield, tremendous in the run game. The offense line is very solid. Michael Thomas is going to be returning to the lineup soon. Add him with Traquan Smith, who just came back recently as well. The team is getting healthier, and they're some good pieces in place here to make the transition to whatever quarterback easiest. But with that said, I think the two best options for the Saints, Drew Brees, number one, Phillip Rivers, number two. So I'm curious your thoughts. Now that the Saints have an opening, now that they need a quarterback, would you go with Trevor Simeon? Would you go with Taysom Hill? Guy filled in for four games last year and Drew Brees is hurt. Or would you go outside the organization? Call on someone that's not currently with the team. I would do that. I know Drew Brees is just with them. That's my guy, number one. Phil Burrs, I think, is absolutely a great addition that would um, fit in well and, I think, run this offense to its capabilities. That's call number two I'd give. What would you do? Who should the Saints look to to become their quarterback for the rest of the season? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Run Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well as where you can comment uh, your thoughts. We'll get him when we do return here. We'll switch over to college football. Big weekend in the Big Ten. Michigan State beats Michigan. Ohio State beats Penn State. But let's ask you this question. Is Ohio State still the team to beat in the Big Ten? We'll discuss that when the Ronnie Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As we do every single show, the 10 a.m. hour brought to you by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com. LCDesignsNYC.com for more information. The big news of the morning, the big breaking news that's kind of really shaking right now the NFL world is the health and the status of Derrick Henry. We are starting to get some clarity on the injury and a timeline. So according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, he is reporting that the Titans are fearing that Derrick Henry suffered a broken bone in his foot. Now, uh, with the news, we the reports we got earlier in the day were saying that it could be out for the season. Ian Rapport, though, was saying if the, the MRI that will be taken today truly does confirm a fracture in Derrick Henry's foot, the timeline is roughly eight weeks. Eight-week recovery, which, because it is November 1st, coming off of Halloween, that will put Derrick Henry in line, if everything goes well and smoothly, to return to the Titans in January Meaning, he could be back for the playoffs. So some clarity, some better news, 
if you're a Titans fan, or okay, there's now at least a hope and a belief that maybe Derrick Henry can return for the playoffs, whereas, you know, the initial reports uh, were saying that this could be a season-ending injury for Derrick Henry. So if you're a Titans fan, okay. So far, a little bit more positive news. We'll circle back to that in 20 minutes from now. What does that mean for the Titans? Can they still make the playoffs? They're 6-2, and two, big lead in the AFC South. Are they screwed without Derrick Henry? We'll get into that discussion here in a little bit, but I do want to kind of circle back and hit on some college football news because it was a big weekend. Big weekend in the Big Ten. And I'll say this, coming into the year where Ohio State was by far and away the favorite, where the Buckeyes lost and looked vulnerable in week number two against Oregon, came back and looked dominant against the likes of Indiana and Maryland and Rutgers. This past week, I think, confirms the Big Ten is still wide open. It is not Ohio State's conference anymore. This year, it's a toss-up between Ohio State and Michigan State. One and one A. This is not an overwhelming favor like we thought the Buckeyes were coming in. Sparty is a legitimate contender to win the Big Ten. Because this past weekend, they showed, I thought, incredible resolve, incredible resiliency in coming back to Michigan. They showed a lot of metal for a team that so far that didn't really know who they were coming to this game. And for Ohio State, they beat Penn State, they beat it by nine. To me, they still showed some vulnerabilities. I thought the Nittany Lions still revealed a few flaws of the Buckeyes. We'll get into that here in a second. But I don't want to start with, I mean, I do want to start with Michigan State and the big win that they got over Michigan. Because to the Wolverines' credit, to Michigan's credit, to Jim Harbaugh's credit, they dominated this game for three quarters. Where this is a Michigan offense that could not be stopped. Cade McNamara threw for over 300 yards, had the best game of his career. Michigan receivers were getting open. Big plays, chunk plays were getting ripped up through the Spartan secondary. Turnovers by Peyton Thorne were kind of putting the, the Spartans behind the eight ball early on. But I will give credit to Michigan State, and I think for them, this is more about them coming back, showing resolve, and winning this game than, let's say, Michigan choking it away. Because you look at this game, how quickly it kind of turned on their heads. Peyton Thorne throws a pick on the opening drive. Michigan goes 93 yards in the blink of an eye. Right, Three plays, touchdown. Next ensuing drive, Peyton Thorne throws another pick. Michigan gets a field goal. It's 10-0, really, before even in your seats. For a hyped-up game, Michigan came out of the gates firing. But to Michigan State's credit, they never panicked. They never panicked because they know this offense is explosive. It's a matter of time before the big chunk plays coming, before the points quickly get put on the board. And we really saw that kind of play out through the rest of the first quarter and beyond the rest of the game. Even though at times Michigan State struggled to get stops, offensively, Michigan's defense coming in very, you know, very dominant, beat every opponent handily so far. They've played for the most part. Uh, Michigan State's offense had their way with Michigan's defense, and that really started with their running back, their Heisman potential candidate running back in Kenneth Walker III. He's, he's invited to New York. Let's lock it up right there. The Heisman race is still... Nowhere close to being decided, but I know it's been a quarterback award. But Kenneth Walker III punched his ticket to New York for the ceremony with his incredible Saturday performance. 197 yards he ran for on 23 carries, five touchdowns for the transfer from Wake Forest. 
And not only was he on the ground unstoppable, he's also ripping off chunk run after chunk run that really just kind of, again, served as daggers to Michigan's defense. He averaged 8.6 yards per carry. 8.6 yards per carry. Massive, massive day. Ripping off big runs, like I said. And again, he helped get the offense back into the game despite the fact that they were tra uh, trailing for a large majority of the game. Down 10-0, like I said early on, right away before you even blink. It's 30-14 to 14 in the second half. And again, in, in previous years, with Michigan State's slow, plodding, vanilla offense, this game's over. This game is over. But this offense has been explosive, whether it's Peyton Thorne in the passing game, Jalen Naylor in the receiving game, and Kenneth Walker in the running game. This was a game where, yes, the Spartans were down by 16, but still never flinched. Still never panicked. So even though despite Walker was a star this game, five touchdowns, every single off touchdown scored for Michigan State went through Kenneth Walker, there are other players that stepped up. Even though Thorne had a brutal start to the game, he had some big throws to get Michigan State deep into Michigan territory, keep drives alive, and really put you know Michigan's or uh, keep Michigan State on the uh, on the brink of scoring. Jaden Reed was a few big time catches on third and fourth down. Jalen Naylor again had a huge game as well. Michigan State did it on all three levels: passing, running, receiving. Made some huge, huge, huge plays to kind of get back in the game. Get within striking distance and then eventually to take the lead. And to credit Michigan State's defense here, I want to do that for a second because they were totally short, right? Again, they gave 31 points. They allowed 552 total yards. They were shredded. Again, Cade McNamara, a person I doubted coming into this game in terms of winning the game with his arm. He hasn't been able to show it really at any point this season. He made huge throw after huge throw after huge, uh, huge throw. But to Sparty's defensive credit, they made the big plays when it counted. Two different times Michigan had the ball late in the game with a chance to tie or take the lead. They got an incomplete pass on fourth down, which was it pass interference. You can make the case. I rather, you know, I like the no call there in a big moment. And then after Michigan State went three and out, Sparty got the ball back. Interception, game over. But it wasn't just there, though, where Michigan State's defense stepped up. Also in the red zone, they were phenomenal. Again, they gave up 552 total yards, but it's the bend but don't break defense that really won them this game. Because Michigan had to settle for four field goals. Four field goals. So even though they scored 33 points, even though that they were, again, moving the ball up and down the field, when it came to scoring touchdowns, when it came to putting seven on the board instead of three, Michigan fell short many times. Michigan State's defense, to give them credit, played really well, got the stops when they needed to win this game 37-33. Big plays were the difference in this game. Michigan State made them. Michigan didn't make enough of them. But now when you look at, you know, going forward here, what this means to the rest of the Big Ten, big plays are important because Ohio State's shown in the night game on Saturday that they're still vulnerable. They're still susceptible on defense to the big play, and even though they were looking phenomenal against, again, Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, they are still, they still have flaws here that were revealed by Oregon. They truly have shown that they were not exactly figured, you know, covered up, we'll say. Because I think Penn State, even though they lost this game, 33-24, 
I think they still showed you that Ohio State can be beat. They still showed you that the vulnerabilities that were highlighted by Oregon back in week number two, some of them were fixed a little bit, but some of them were still there. Some of them are still there that leaves Ohio State susceptible to losing to a team like Michigan State. The door, to me, is still wide open for them to be beat. And this is not Ohio State's conference to win anymore. They should not be the overwhelming favorite. Because to me, it's, it's a dead tie between Michigan State and Ohio State. That, to me, how even these two teams are with how impressive I was with Michigan State on Saturday. And Ohio State still not really being that impressed. Like, you look at Sean Clifford coming to this game, who... Looked a lot healthier than he did against Illinois the week before, but still dealing with an injury. He dissected this Buckeye defense. Threw for 361 yards. He got sacked a few times, but the offense line did give him some good time to throw for most of the game. The receivers were running open. Right, You had both Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington both going over 100 yards for this Penn State offense. Secondary was not really that good. And similar to what we're talking about with Michigan, not converting uh, their red zone opportunities and the touchdowns. Settling for four field goals and that being the difference between Michigan State winning and uh, Michigan losing. Ohio State did the same thing. They also kicked four field goals. They scored just two offensive touchdowns for how dynamic and high-flying this Ohio State offense has been. Right, where they're at, you know, near the top in terms of points per game. They have Chris Olave. They have Garrett Wilson. They have... Uh, C.J. Stroud has really looked a lot more comfortable setting out a game and trying to rest his injured shoulder. Ohio State still is vulnerable. Ohio State still isn't really this well-oiled machine that we were fooled into thinking and believing because they were just beating up on lesser opponents that talent-wise were nowhere close to what Ohio State has. College football, you can have those games where even though if you're not, you know, playing great, just the talent on the field is so overwhelming that other teams don't have a shot. But now when you look at when you play better teams in tighter competition, how truly just okay Ohio State is. Like, I didn't really come away, I don't know, I did not really come away that impressed with how Ohio State played. Uh, Penn State played tough. Penn State's coming in scuffling, losing two games in a row. They were not able to run the ball whatsoever. And even though there's no threat of a run game, they're one-dimensional with only having to pass the ball. Sean Clifford had a ton of success and routinely was going up and down the field on Ohio State. So Ohio State fixed their rush defense. I mean, they were gashed on the ground by Oregon in week number two. They were able to lock down Penn State, who struggled to run the ball all season long. Really, the run game has not really come back to bite um, Ohio State so far that much this season. They're still allowing big chunk plays in the passing game. The offense was not efficient in the red zone. Weren't scoring, uh, you know, six. Instead of they were scoring three and keeping the game closer than maybe it should have been against Penn State. When you look at Michigan State, how explosive they are in the passing game, how explosive and how hard to stop Kenneth Walker is in the running game, this is shaping up to be a really winnable matchup for the Spartans when they go to Columbus in a few weeks. Ohio State is still very beatable. This is a team that absolutely and still has flaws, still has weaknesses, and still is leaving this Big Ten Conference up for grabs. So nobody came into the season thinking, Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State. Then we thought, okay, maybe Penn State's the closest team to them. As long as they win on, on Halloween, Ohio State's going to run away with this conference. Not even close. Ohio State's one of the best teams in the country. And I think we were fooled at times to believe, okay, 
changes were made. They made changes to the defensive coordinator. Kerry Coombs, the, uh, the defensive coordinator coming in, was, I don't say stripped of his duties, but reassigned, we'll say, to not become the defensive coordinator anymore for Ohio State, even though he's still on the staff. The defense has improved. Again, offensively, they were torching some lesser teams and winning in and putting up big point totals. They had everyone fooled just because the talent was so overwhelming. Now when they played a talented and good Penn State team that's always played them tough over the years, but a team that in Penn State was not really clicking, was kind of out of whack and out of sync. I think Penn State showed some vulnerabilities with Ohio State that kind of should remind everyone, this is not the dominant Ohio State team we're, we're used to seeing in the past few years. This is not Ohio State's conference to just roll, roll through. Michigan State, I think, is right there. It's 1-1A. One one I think Michigan State absolutely, in a few weeks, can go on the road and beat the Buckeyes. To me, this past weekend, this past Saturday, reaffirmed the notion of the thought that Ohio State is still very beatable. And Michigan State is the team, stylistically, talent-wise, to go into Columbus and knock the Buckeyes off to give them their second loss of the season. End their season right there. I'm bought in. I'm curious if you are. Is Michigan State, are they the team to beat in the Big Ten? Both teams, without a Big Ten loss, the Buckeyes and the Spartans, coming out of this weekend, Michigan State gets a crazy wild win over Michigan, 37-30. Are you believing to, as the Spartans, I should say, to be the team to beat in the Big Ten? Forget your thoughts, whether it's on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Forget your thoughts when we return here. We'll circle back to the big news of the morning. Derrick Henry, out. We have an updated timeline that maybe he could return for the playoffs if Tennessee makes the playoffs. How much trouble are the Titans in if Derrick Henry's out the rest of the regular season? We'll discuss that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Some big breaking news this morning in the NFL world. Tennessee Titans potentially suffered maybe the, the biggest loss a team could suffer. Different reports are out there, but it seems to be the fear in Tennessee is that Derrick Henry is lost for the season with a broken bone in his foot. Now, according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, he was reporting that if there is a fracture in Derrick Henry's foot, the timeline for recovery is eight weeks. So, meaning that he could return in, this, uh, in January, meaning he could return for the playoffs and potentially be back for Tennessee to make a playoff push um, if they do make it. Now, that's the big question, right? Tennessee loses their heart and soul of their team in Derrick Henry. Can they still make the playoffs? Are they still going to be even playing in January by the time Derrick Henry could potentially return to get him back on the field? My answer to that question is yes. Now, this is, right, when you lose a running back, it's usually not catastrophic or season-ending, but Tennessee is built differently. They're really the one team in the NFL that has built their team around the running back and relies so heavily on said running back, Derrick Henry, to run them to victory. And they are a run first, run second, run third, and then pass fourth offense. That's how Tennessee rolls. 
Feed Derrick Henry, feed Derrick Henry, feed Derrick Henry. So the loss of him now for the rest of the regular season, the next nine games for Tennessee is catastrophic. This is the equivalent of uh, the Chiefs losing Patrick Mahomes, of the Packers losing Aaron Rodgers. This is the equivalent of a team losing a franchise quarterback. That's how dominant, that's how integral Derrick Henry is to this Tennessee offense. So it's not like any other team losing a running back. This is essentially losing a quarterback for the rest of the regular season. With that said, with such a catastrophic loss for Tennessee, I still think they'll win, uh, they'll win the AFC South, and they still will make the playoffs for two reasons. Number one, they have built up a big enough lead so far to where they have enough cushion to get by. Right, they just beat the Colts yesterday. They swept the season series from the Colts. They beat them back in week three, and they beat them yesterday in overtime. That or that win yesterday by Tennessee now is looking bigger and bigger by the second. Now you gain a tiebreaker over the Colts. Now you go from potentially being five and three and the Colts being four and four, one game back. Well, now the Titans are six and two, the Colts are three and five. There's a long way to go for Indianapolis to dig out of this hole. And now again, Losing the season series like an extra game that they got overcome. So I think the cushion Tennessee has built up right now is large enough to where they will be able to hold off the Colts and still win the AFC South. Jacksonville, we know, is not even in the picture. Neither is Houston. It's a two-team race between the Colts and the Titans. Winning yesterday, I think, won the division before Derek Henry got hurt. And I think it's still enough uh, uh, leeway and legroom to kind of still have you sitting there in first place by the time the season ends. Again, nine games from now. When you look at the schedule for Tennessee, that does that is all the important. Tough one going on the road to the Rams on Sunday Night Football this week. Probably not winning that game anyway, but now, especially without Derrick Henry, that's going to be a brutal Sunday night game for Tennessee where all the pressure is on Ryan Tannehill to get the job done. But they still have the Texans that they're playing twice. They still have another game with the Jaguars. They have the Dolphins. So out of the nine remaining teams left, you get the Texans twice, you get the Jaguars once, you get the Dolphins once. These are, you know, those are four games you should win, even without Derrick Henry. Then you get some winnable games. You get the Saints at home. You get you're on the road at the Patriots. You're on the road at the Steelers. The 49ers come to town. Like that's another game. Like. Really, the only game I'd say is a absolute loss for Tennessee is this upcoming week against the Rams. That's another thing with their schedule, with playing, let's say, the Bills earlier on in the year when Derrick Henry was healthy. Playing the Chiefs and the Seahawks earlier on in the year when Derrick Henry was healthy. Even the Cardinals, that is paying off now big time for Tennessee. Having a, let's say, more of a front-loaded schedule. Now you can sustain and hope because you build up a big enough lead and the schedule gives you a break. So now if you're Tennessee, there's still a chance for you to tread water. That's all you got to do. Tread water for Derrick Henry to come back. This game against the Rams, I think, is an absolute loss. But again, the Saints, the Texans, the Patriots, the Jaguars, the Steelers, the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Texans. There's really not one game you point to and say that's definitely a loss. Absolutely not. They'll definitely lose a few of these games. But there's no true, no shot, you don't have a chance, this game is over, to me, outside of the Rams this Sunday night. So you have eight games on the rest of the season that are basically toss-ups, four of which Dolphins once, Jaguars once, Texans twice, where you should win all four, even without Derrick Henry. You should get the job done. So right now, Tennessee has enough of a, a lead built up in the AFC South, 
and an easy enough schedule down the stretch where I think they will be able to withstand the loss of Derrick Henry enough to get them in the playoffs, even get them a home game. Now, I will say this. I will give Ryan Tannehill some credit here. He has been a, a better quarterback than maybe sometimes I want to give him credit for. I think sometimes he relies too much on Derrick Henry, and sometimes, you know, he's not really a guy you can truly rely on. Even yesterday's game against the Colts, threw two picks, got lucky with one of them getting fumbled, but he did make plays. He threw, you know, a big touchdown to A.J. Brown. He continually kind of led the, the Titans down the field, dug him out of a 14-0 hole, and really, again, helped get Tennessee um, a win on the road where Derrick Henry just ran for 68 yards. And now, as we know, looked hobbled, looked like something was up. Now we know there was something wrong, and he could potentially be out for the year. But there's still at least enough talent on offense to get you by. right? The cover is not exactly bare. Julio Jones has been in and out of the lineup, but when he's healthy and on the field, at least he is a very good addition and a big headache for defenses to worry about. A.J. Brown's a total stud. Really coming into his own and it's becoming that number one bona fide stud receiver. Physical, great hands, fast, good route runner. He has it all. So there's weapons for Ryan Tannehill to work with. He's very mobile, Tannehill is, so he can, now he can kind of use his legs more and bring that to be more part of the run game. Tennessee, I think, has enough talent, has enough of a lead built up to where they will make the playoffs and still win the AFC South. They are still a playoff team. Now, when it comes to Super Bowl, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Even with the AFC so wide open. Right? We kind of talked about it before, but coming into the year, the AFC I thought was going to be run by the Chiefs and dominated by Kansas City. Well, as we know so far, that's been anything but the case. Right? The AFC, to me, is really about every single week the team that you believe in the most falters. Now, oh, the Chiefs come in, they get a good ball, all of a sudden they you know, fall off and lose a few games. The Chargers. They're kind of the darling, the flavor of the week. They play really well. They get a nice win over the Chiefs. They beat the Browns. Well, then they fall off. They get blown up by the Ravens and, and then just lose on Sunday to the Patriots. The Ravens, they're playing great. Big Monday Night Football comeback victory over the Colts a few weeks ago. They blow out the Chargers. Well, then they get blown out by the Bengals. The Bills, this was supposed to be the year Josh Allen wins the MVP. Supposed to be the year that the Bills go to the Super Bowl. They're right there. They're playing well. But there have been times that, you know, the offense really hasn't been humming. Even yesterday, they played kind of poorly against a, a bad Dolphins defense. They lost to the Titans in a crazy back-and-forth Monday night game a few weeks ago. The Bills have kind of not exactly, you know, blown the doors off of you so far and really have you believe in this is the best team in the AFC. The Bengals, maybe this is the team that the Bengals, you know, or this is a team that is legitimate. The Bengals lose to Mike White and the Jets after blowing out the Ravens. The point is, every single team in the AFC that has you believe in, that has you thinking, this is a legitimate team, this could be the team coming out of the AFC to represent them in the Super Bowl, has taken a step back really as soon as their, we'll call it belief is the highest, as soon as they reach their crescendo, if you will. And the same thing now with Tennessee. They got, I thought, one of the most impressive wins yesterday, coming and banged up, kind of how the game started. They fought back and won that game in overtime against a desperate, desperate Colts team that was getting healthier. And now, as we know, after that game coming out, where you start to think, oh, maybe Tennessee's legit. Like, maybe Tennessee, we were overlooking them. And this could be a legitimate Super Bowl team. They now come out with the news that Derrick Henry is going to be out for most likely is reported to be the rest of the regular season, maybe the rest of the year. So even though the AFC is completely wide open, where no team has truly been consistent enough to kind of run away, I still think they have zero shot when it comes to the Super Bowl without Derrick Henry. There's no chance. There's absolutely no chance. Ryan Tannehill's not, to me, a good enough and consistent enough quarterback to lift his team up in a big moment in the playoffs. And for a team so heavily dependent on the running back, 
so heavily dependent on the run game to get things going. I don't think they'll be able to overcome a loss like that in the moment big time, especially, too, when you look on the other side of the ball defensively. They're not exactly the 85 Bears on defense. Now, they got a pick six. Carson Wentz kind of gifted that, you know, them that late in the game to give Tennessee temporarily a lead. Late. Carson Wentz was able to go down, drive down the field, tie the game. Tennessee did respond with another interception over time that ended up setting up the game-winning field goal. But Tennessee, their defense is, is banged up. They still are unable to really get a consistent pass rush. Harold Landry's been great individually. But collectively, the unit has really struggled to get pressure consistently on the quarterback, which is never good, especially with a Tennessee Titans secondary that is injury-prone and banged up early, not that good to begin with. This defense has holes. This defense is not one you can rely on to get your stops to win your games. They've made plays here and there, but I don't think they're good enough, especially after the loss of Derrick Henry, to make up for it and all of a sudden kind of carry the load for this team. So this is a catastrophic loss for Tennessee if Derrick Henry's out for the year. With that said, though, to me, they are still winning the AFC South. They are still going to make the playoffs. Their playoff hopes aren't dashed. They're not going to be sitting home in January. The hope, according to Ian Rappaport, is that if the fracture in Derrick Henry's foot is believed to come true, or it is what it is believed to be, it's an eight-week recovery timetable. Maybe he comes back a week or two early, maybe he comes back a week or two late. But he's scheduled to return right early on in January, which is right in time for a playoff push. I think Tennessee will be playing in the playoffs, but even if Derrick Henry returns, coming off uh, an injured foot two months without football, I don't think he's going to be enough for the Tennessee Titans to be Super Bowl contenders. So cross Tennessee off the Super Bowl contending list. Even if he does return, no shot for me, Tennessee winning the Super Bowl. With that said, though, they will still win the AFC South. Yesterday's win over the Colts gets even more magnified, even more important for Tennessee. That win, I think, will end up being the difference for them making the playoffs and winning the division. Tennessee is still a playoff team. I'm curious your thoughts here. Do you agree? Is Tennessee still a playoff team? If they get Derrick Henry back, let's say in early January, right before the playoff start, could they be a Super Bowl contender? Again, the AFC has been wide open. There's been no dominant team so far. So in theory, there's no one team that you said no shot that they can beat. They already beat the Bills. They already beat the Chiefs. They have shown, Tennessee has, with Derrick Henry, they can beat anyone in the AFC. Are you believing in, in the Titans to be playoff contenders and Super Bowl contenders if Derrick Henry is able to return? Are they still a playoff team if they have to go the rest of the regular season? Nine more games without Derrick Henry. They're 6-2 and two right now. Second place, Colts are 3-5. and five. Tennessee is the tiebreaker because they beat the Colts two times this year. If they have to go the nine games now the rest of the year, can they still make the playoffs? Can they still be a playoff team? Love to hear your thoughts. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your Titans and Derrick Henry thoughts. When we do return here, I want to go back to college for a little bit because tomorrow the rankings finally come out. A lot of speculation, a lot of debate. But now the only rankings that matter are the college football playoff rankings. We get the committee's thoughts. Tuesday night, tomorrow night, their first batch of rankings will be released. Who are the top four teams in college football? I'll tell you my top four if I was on the committee when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
And welcome back in to the Worldwide Sports. Right now, the Ryan Hickey Show is live with you until the top of the hour. So, college football playoff rankings. The true rankings actually matter. The rankings that will determine the four teams to make the college football playoff will finally be revealed. The first batch will come out tomorrow evening. They'll get released every single Tuesday until we finally, obviously, have the season complete, and then we'll know the four teams playing in the college football playoff. So what should the first batch of rankings look like? Right? We know what the AP poll thinks. We know what the AP um, writers and voters, how they feel about so far college football, who's one, who's two, who's three, who's four. What about the committee? Because they don't exactly always tend to agree with the AP poll. They have their own kind of thoughts and way they view things. So who should the top six be, right? Because they not only do the top four, they always go the next two, you know, or the first two out, if you will. So what should the committee's rankings look like? I have my top six, and this is how the committee absolutely should follow. Uh, this is how they should be ranked tomorrow evening. We have the first batch of the college football playoff rankings revealed. So here's my top six. Number one, all right, look, it's very easy. Georgia, right? We'll, we'll go through this quickly. Not a lot to really analyze and dissect because they've been the most dominant team in college football. They will cruise through the rest of the regular season because no team, no team until the SEC title game they play uh, uh, Alabama, they've got third time's a charm, will be able to put any sort of fight on offense against this insanely talented, dynamic Georgia defense. So I still have concerns about the quarterback play, whether it's Stetson Bennett, whether it's JT Daniels, but right now that doesn't matter. Georgia's by far been the most dominant team in college football. It's not even close. They really haven't even had a scare or even to sweat. And they are by far the number one team in college football. That will absolutely be the case tomorrow night. Georgia guaranteed to be number one. Number two, I will put Cincinnati undefeated right now. And that Notre Dame win continues to look better and better. The Bearcats are getting the help that they need. Because the Irish, at least in the AP poll, sit at number eight in the country. So you now have a top 10 victory on the road over Notre Dame, Cincinnati does. That's huge for the resume. And to give credit to the Bearcats, they so far this season have done everything they're supposed to do. They beat Notre Dame on the road. They beat Indiana, Indiana on the road, which, okay, fine. I get it. Indiana's not exactly a great win, but that's a Power 5 road conference. They won by two touchdowns. They beat the two Power 5 teams they're supposed to beat, and they took care of business and won both by double digits on the road. And then outside of Navy, which is a very close game and closer than it should have been, they have blown out every other team on their schedule. UCF, Temple, Tulane, doesn't matter. That's the thing about Cincinnati that to me is still impressive and worth them being, over, uh, being ranked number two. Not only do they have the you know, statement top 10 road victor on the resume that really no other group of five team has had before when it comes to the playoff discussion, but also... They are taking care of business in their conference schedule. They are reminding everyone that why they are one of the best teams in the country and why they're deserving to be in the cultural playoff top four because they are just blowing out the inferior competition. They're not playing any games. They're taking care of business. Defensively, they're a very feisty group. They're a very aggressive uh, group. They force turnovers. They're in your face. Luke Fickles, they've got a tremendous job. Offensively, they're dynamic, led by Desmond Ritter. This is a very well-balanced, very deep Bearcats team. They absolutely, undefeated with a top 10 road victory, should be ranked number two in the committee's rankings tomorrow night behind Cincinnati. So Georgia 1, Cincinnati 2, 
Alabama 3. Now, this is a little bit of a backhanded comment, but also kind of shows just how truly impressive Alabama's been since Nick Saban's got there. They have been not as dominant as I have expected that we all kind of expected coming to this season. Like Bryce Young and the offense, they've been almost unstoppable. They've put up a ton of points. Now, at times, have they gone to sleep and kind of, you know, slept walked? Absolutely. We saw it in the Texas A&M game. We saw it in the Florida game where after jumping out to a 21-0 lead, they kind of had to sweat out in the last part of that game in the swamp. Even Tennessee for three quarters kind of played close against a Vols team that was putting up some points and then just, you know, in the fourth quarter finally took over that game and ran away with it. But there have been different points where I feel like Alabama was kind of sleepwalking throughout the year. Even defensively. This was, you know, preseason coming to this year. We were getting told by experts, by fans, by media that this was going to be the best defense of Nick Saban's era at Alabama. They were deep. They were experienced. And they've really been a disappointment. Florida had the right them on the ground. A&M went up and down the field with them with a backup quarterback in Zach Calzada. And Tennessee, they have an explosive offense. They give them credit. But for three quarters, they're making some big plays in the air. But even with that set, Alabama's still been one of the most dominant teams, one of the most consistent teams in the country. Even though they're not maybe looking up to the Alabama standard that we're used to seeing in the past few years, they are still one of the best teams in the country. They reminded everyone of that in the Ole Miss game where I thought coming in Ole Miss was going to win that game. They completely shut them down. Really, that was the one game defensively where they, I thought, played their best game by far. Completely locked down, shut down, an explosive, high-tempo, high-octane, Lane Kiffin-driven, Matt Corral-led offense. And did a good job. So they have the one loss to A&M. They will play LSU this week. They have wins over Florida on the road, which now, you know, looks worse and worse with Florida continuing to lose. You have the Ole Miss win. Alabama is, to me, deserving and being of number three in the country. I put Cincinnati ahead of them, but they're absolutely a top four team. So I have Georgia one, Cincinnati two, Alabama three, and I would put Michigan State number four. I'd put them ahead of Ohio State. I'd put them ahead of Oklahoma because they have a better resume. The number, you know, the victory they'd had over number six Michigan this past weekend at home is a better win than anything Oklahoma's put on tape, anything that Ohio State's put on tape. Not just that. Ohio State obviously has the one loss. Michigan's, Michigan State's undefeated. And even though Oklahoma's undefeated, Oklahoma really hasn't really played that well. They haven't really convincingly kind of showed you that they are by far one of the best teams in the country. Well, Michigan State, they have taken care of business. They've had a few close calls, yes. But they beat Michigan. They dominated Miami on the road a few weeks ago. I know I, I get it. Look, Miami is really not a team you're at home about, but that's a game where coming into the year, early on, we still don't really know what Michigan State is, what Miami is. They won that game handily. They won that game convincingly. Impressive by Mel Tucker to take care of business and beat an inferior team. Kenneth Walker's been a tremendous addition to this offense. Second in the nation with 1,100, just short of 1,200 rushing yards. The offense is explosive through the air, through the ground. Mel Tucker has really got this team humming so far, even defensively. They're leaky at times, absolutely, but they make the big plays in the red zone and at the end of the game to win games, to close out ball games. Michigan State, to me, absolutely should be the number four team in the country. So the committee's rankings for the real cultural playoff rankings come out tomorrow. This is my rankings, but this also should be how the rankings reveal tomorrow. One Georgia, two Cincinnati, three Alabama, four Michigan State. The next two, because they always love doing the next two. 
I will put Oklahoma at number five. They're undefeated, nine and zero. We're nine and zero. What are I talking about? They haven't played that many games, but yeah, nine and zero. Excuse me. And they've been a different team so far with Caleb Williams at quarterback compared to Spencer Rattler. But even with that said, even though they made the quarterback change most recently, right a few weeks ago, they still haven't been able to dominate a soft schedule, and they don't really have a great resume. That's why I have Michigan State ahead of them. Michigan, is a be- Michigan State has a better resume, and they played better, crisper football. Where Oklahoma, again, the, the big statement win for them was Texas. Well, Texas hasn't won a game in a month. They've lost now three straight games. And even, you know, they have that, you know, they, the, that game against Texas when they make the, the move to Caleb Williams and they score a ton of points. They beat TCU. And they're still, again, undefeated. They have had close games with teams like Nebraska, West Virginia, Tulane, Kansas, Kansas State. Now, I get most of those came with Spencer Rattler, quarterback. And the only real close game was Kansas when Caleb Williams was uh, quarterback for Oklahoma last week. But you cannot play that many close games against inferior competition. You know you didn't lose any and expect to get rewarded for that. You get rewarded for playing tough competition, playing well, and beating good teams. Michigan State has done that. Oklahoma has not. I would put them at number five because they're 9-0, but they haven't really done a ton to impress you so far against less than ideal competition. Now, they still have some challenging games against Baylor coming up, against Oklahoma State coming up. So they have a chance to pad their resume. I think they will be a top four team by the time the season is said and done with. But right now, they, to me, are not a top four team. They haven't played well enough football for a consistent enough stretch to get that job done. Even though they did make a quarterback change and they have looked like a different team, they still are not there yet because of clicking at all cylinders. So that's why I would have them at number five. And number six, I would put Oregon. That's right. Oregon should be over Ohio State because you have to get rewarded for uh, playing teams and winning games. If that's not the case, why are we even playing the game? If we're going to put Ohio State over Oregon, why do we even bother playing the games? We might as well just put the recruiting rankings out there. Oh, this team's going to be good. This team's going to be good. And we won't even play the regular season. We'll just pick on paper who has the best four teams, put them in the playoff. The AP poll loves Ohio State over Oregon. That should not be the case. Someone's got to explain to me why that is. Oregon beat Ohio State on the road. I don't care that a few weeks later, Oregon lost a worse game of fuel on the road to Stanford. They're both 7-1, and one, but the Ducks should have the chump card because guess what? They beat Ohio State. You can't reward Ohio State. You can't reward the Buckeyes and have them ahead of Oregon because they were able to dominate teams like Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers. Congratulations. You beat some of the bad teams of the Big Ten. Congrats. And I understand Oregon had some close calls. They played a close game against Cal at home a few weeks ago, in which Cal's not very good. They lost to a, a bad Stanford team on the road. I get it as their one loss. And even UCLA, as a back-and-forth game where they're down early, came back and held on to win 34-31 against a UCLA team that's not in the rankings. I get it. But Oregon still, at this point, deserves to be ranked ahead of Ohio State you got to reward teams for not only playing challenging games, but winning those games. I favor wins right more than I put more stock in big wins over, let's say, maybe a close loss or maybe kind of scuffling and just getting by and not really looking great against a few other lesser opponents. Oregon got the win 
over Ohio State. They absolutely need to and should be rewarded for that. I have Oregon ahead of Ohio State if I was on the cultural playoff committee, and that's the way it absolutely should be when it comes to tomorrow night's rankings. Yes, the Ducks have been a little shaky at times, and yes, they have, let's say, not played as dominant football as maybe you would like. But they have done enough to warrant being ranked ahead of Ohio State. That is absolutely for sure. So the cultural playoff rankings will come out tomorrow night. Georgia 1, Cincinnati 2, Alabama 3, Michigan State 4, Oklahoma 5, Oregon 6. That is both what I think the committee will do and what they should do. Remember, these rankings are a summation of the season. This is not just a one-week reaction to what you saw. This is the first batch of ranks. So they're taking all eight or nine games into consideration to make up these rankings. So that's why the rankings I have, that's how they should be, and that's how they will be. So I'm curious your thoughts here. In your mind, who should be in the top four? What will the committee's rankings look like when they are finally revealed for the first time tomorrow evening? I think it's how it should go. I'm excited to see, hopefully, the big, really the, the two teams I'm looking out for the most here are going to be Oregon and Cincinnati. I think the Cincinnati is deserving to be number two. Will the committee put them there, or will they slide to Alabama ahead of the Bearcats? So that's the one I'm watching. Where will Cincinnati be? And will they put Oregon ahead of Ohio State? The AP poll really has not done so the past few weeks. Now the AP poll becomes relevant because the cultural playoff committee rankings are the only ones that matter. Will they put Oregon ahead of Ohio State? That's the big question I'm watching here as well. They should. I think they will. Excited to see what what their thoughts are. So we'll finish the Ryan Hickey show here really quickly with this. The two big injuries from the weekend. Jameis Winston, unfortunately... Looks to be out for the rest of the season, uh, rest of the regular season for the Saints, really, for the season as well, uh, after he uh, looks to tour his ACL against the Buccaneers early on in the second quarter yesterday. For me, what I would do to replace him at quarterback for the Saints, I would first call Drew Brees, see if he's interested to come back. If he says no, I'd call Phillip Rivers. Those should be the two quarterbacks the Saints make the calls to first to get to play for the Saints the rest of the season. Right? I don't think uh, Taysom Hill to me, is good enough and consistent enough to roll with him the rest of the season. Trevor Simeon beat Tom Brady, right? Let's throw that out there. Trevor Simeon came into a 7-7 game and beat the Bucs, beat Tom Brady yesterday in the Dome. I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think that's going to be the way things roll. So I would definitely call Drew Brees, try to have him come back. I would definitely call Phil Rivers, have him come back. To me, those are the two quarterbacks that give you the best chance to capitalize on what has been a 5-2 and two start for the Saints and what should be, when you look around the rest of the NFC and who they're competing with, should be a playoff team. Even though they lost Jameis Winston, this is still, to me, a playoff team. The best way to get the most out of this team, Drew Brees, Phil Rivers. Those are my two calls. My name is Dalton on Twitter tweeting, and this cracked me up. Not Cam, because that was an option. Cam Newton, could it be out there? You know, Could it be Taysom Hill? Could it be Trevor Simeon? Could it be another quarterback that they trade for? He goes, not Cam. I'd rather see Jameis play on crutches. That cracked me up. But you know what? That just shows you I'm with him. I'm not a big Cam Newton fan. I don't think he's very good, to be completely honest. I think he is, at this point, has too many hits on his body to truly run the offense to a high enough level to get the most out of this team. So I would definitely go other ways. i go Drew Brees and Phil Rivers 
way before I called Cam Newton, that's for sure. And they already have basically Cam Newton with, on the roster with Taysom Hill. Like, so if you're going to go with the Cam Newton route, you might as well just go Taysom Hill, who already knows the offense, you know, has continuity with the uh, receivers, played quarterback for the Sean Payton-led offense last year. They're similar players. I would rather just go, you're going to go with Taysom Hill then, if you're thinking about a quarter like a Cam Newton. And the other bigger injury coming out that was divulged this morning was that according to many different reports, it seems, and the fear is that Tennessee Titans star running back Derrick Henry has a foot injury that could have him missing the rest of the season. Potentially, depending on the seriousness of the fracture and his recovery, he might be able to return for the playoffs. So this is what Ian Rapport is reporting, that there's a broken bone in his foot, and it could heal enough in time for Derrick Henry to return for the playoffs. I'll say this for Tennessee. They still are a playoff team. They still will win the AFC South. This is like losing a quarterback. I know for most teams, losing a running back is not a big deal. You see the Ravens lost like five running backs. They are still having a really good start to their season. This is the equivalent of the Chiefs losing Patrick Holmes, the Packers losing Aaron Rodgers. This is the equivalent of a team losing a franchise quarterback with Derrick Henry now going out with the way Tennessee has built their outfits around the running back. With that said, though, they've built up a big enough lead in the division. Right, They're 6-2, and two, the Colts are 3-5. and five where they used to still, still should win the AFC South. They had the tiebreaker and beating the Colts twice, so it's almost like another game up on the Colts. So they have a big division lead. They still have Ryan Tannehill, who's still serviceable, I think, especially now when he's the focal point. Um, I think he'll come back down to earth a little bit and not be as dynamic as, as he has been when the playoffs game is working and when his legs are working because everyone's worried about stopping Derrick Henry. But he's still good enough to win you a few games. A.J. Brown is still there. Julio Jones... Should be, and you hope in the lineup more uh, more times than not the rest of the season. And they have a, a schedule that still benefits them. Now, they play the Rams this week in SoFi Stadium on Sunday Night Football. That's a loss. But you look at the rest of the schedule, to me, that is the only guaranteed loss for Tennessee the rest of the way. They play the Dolphins. They play the Jaguars. They sold the Texans twice. They have winnable games against the Patriots, against the Steelers, against the Saints. This schedule... Breaks in a way where Tennessee, where I think the only guaranteed loss the rest of the way, the rest of the nine games, is this week on the road in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles against the Rams. So there's a plenty of toss-up games that Tennessee can still win. I think that will be enough. They'll get enough wins together, already built up with this lead, that they will become a playoff team. They'll get a home playoff game. But no shot. No shot at the Super Bowl. Their Super Bowl hopes are dashed. So we'll see. We'll keep you updated throughout the week as we see and finally receive word about Derrick Henry, the severity of the injury, how long he will play. And we do uh, return here on Thursday. That will do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show on this Monday. Mid-season awards time. I know it's 17 games, so it's not technically halfway through. Sue me. We're going to do some rough math. But we will give you some mid-season awards. The most impressive team, the most disappointing team, the MVP of the league, the coach of the year. We got you all covered as we get ready for week nine in the NFL, but also look back so far in the first half of the NFL that was. So excited for Thursday's show. Hopefully you will join us. We appreciate you joining us here for this Monday show. Have a great rest of your week. Stay safe, stay sane, and we will talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.